Y'all ready to be history? Get started. Welcome. Hi. 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 Hello, everyone. To the Pro Audio Suite. These guys are professional. They're motivated. Thanks to Tribooth, the best vocal booth for home or on-the-road voice recording. And Austrian Audio, making passion heard. Introducing Robert Marshall from Source Elements and Someone Audio Post, Chicago. Darren Robert Robertson from Voodoo Radio Imaging, Sydney. Tech to the VO Stars, George the Tech Whitam from LA. And me, Andrew Peters, voiceover talent and home studio guy. Line up, Welcome to another Pro Audio Suite. Thanks to Austrian Audio, making passion heard. And Tribooth, don't forget the code, PAP200 to get $200 off your purchase. There's something that's been floating around that, uh, George, you've been uh, keeping an eye on, and that is uh, RMS levels. Yeah, or, or the, the average volume that actors are submitting their auditions, um, a loudness survey. It was um, produced by a uh, buddy and colleague in the world of audio for voiceover, um, Jim Edgar over on his blog, askjimvo.studio. And uh, yeah, he did a nice survey on Facebook and gathered some data and he got 87, it looks like 87 folks to, to put in their responses. And, you know, the thing is he's got a high and a low range on this thing, which I'm going to throw those out um, because I feel like those on the high end of the scale probably mismeasured their audio is my guess. Um, and then there's a low range, which is everything below minus 30 RMS, which some people actually say they submit at that level. So those are kind of the extremes, right? But the average, and this they, we used RMS in this survey, not LUFs, for whatever reason. I think the more, more voiceovers are familiar with what RMS is. Um, the average that was the largest number of respondents was between minus 20 and minus 18. So that is what most commonly is being submitted, at least among this 87 person uh, survey. Uh, That's the most common average volume among the respondents. So take that as, you know, what you will, but that's what was found in this survey. And, And I kind of naturally land around minus 20. Um, when I'm setting up processing, when I just dial everything at the headphone volume that I typically do, not looking at meters, when I go back and check and I analyze it, it often ends up around like minus 20 to minus 18. So it's kind of interesting. The other part of that is that you have to calibrate your monitors. If you're always going to end up at the same input level, you have to make sure that you're kind of looking at the same output level and then you do end up in the same place. Right, right. And I'm using headphones most of the time. So I know what my comfortable listening volume is, or it's naturally right. makes sense to me. And um, it just kind of lands there. It's interesting because the session I did this morning, I'm just looking at the um, the level meter and it's showing my average RMS was minus 19.78 dB. <laughs> How about that? Perfect. That's Pretty just good. completely raw audio though, right? That's with no yeah. processing. No, pro- that's just raw. Well, that's pretty good. I mean, if you can deliver raw audio with zero dynamics control, like compression or limiting, and still land in that range, that shows your skill level as a narrator because you yeah. have really good consistent control over your dynamics. Um, that's, you know, that and that comes with experience. That just comes with practice. Beginners are not going to do that. Except when I say B or something. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or if start swearing at your Wi-Fi router. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, like what. in very natural human speech, we're pretty dynamic, right? We have highs and yep. lows, and we do change our dynamics a lot. But you know, once you get into narrating mode or commercial mode, you you know that's part of that skill set is just knowing how to control your dynamics. So um, most of us do have to use some kind of dynamics processing to get those kind of numbers on a consistent basis. You know, yeah. Another another thing that lines up with is that minus twenty on when when you're calibrating for post production, they line minus twenty up to zero VU mm-hmm. from you know an analog meter. So oh. that is considered like a null or a normal volume. Huh. In fact, I'm doing that right now on my Waves VU meters. That's what I'm watching set to minus twenty. Yeah, minus oh, twenty. Yep, I can't be because music. Music tends to be minus 18, minus 14. And then when the CDs get mastered, they're up to like minus 12 and even more. But yeah. that means that if your peaks and your average are the same, you're basically starting to approach noise, essentially. Right. And Well, we had what we considered the yeah. loudness wars for quite a while, right? Was it 2000s? I, I don't mainly? know that they're completely over with, but I think they're over with because the streaming services now oh, have like... Dictated it, yeah. They try to do their own leveling of you know what it was but even back in those days also you'd listen to the radio and the radio would pump up the cds even more than the cds were pumped up mm-hmm. <laughs> right that's what the art the, like they would put uh, the band processors you know those things are basically what are they 30 bands of compression or something big yeah. compressor yeah Ridiculous big multi-band amounts. compressor yeah. yeah it just splits the audio into a whole bunch of slices like, and then the optimal. song would fade out but it wouldn't really fade out <laughs> Yeah, you know, kind of, no, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah this is they sort never of, really yeah. had a proper fade. You couldn't really get a fade. <laughs> the song didn't really end until yeah. the CD ran out. That's right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or the needle lifted up. Yeah. But uh, interestingly, talking about analog VUs, I just I think so I just played that uh, session this morning, and my minus twenty or nineteen or twenty, which peaks about peak levels about minus six, I think. Um, was hitting zero on the analog for use. So obviously I've set them up properly. There you go. I think. See, I miss that. With one of the when I moved into my new studio here, I went all minimal and got rid of my patch bay and all that sort of stuff. And unfortunately one of the things that had to go was my my analog VUs that I'd had, yeah, <laughs> that I'd had a beautiful little wooden <laughs> wooden case made for, and used to sit on the desk. And fortunately, now it's all packed away on the shelves in the garage because um, I've got nothing to plug it into. But I might have to resurrect it. I think I might have to get Terry Fogg, my studio guy, to come over and see what he can do, get it working again. There I do go. miss it. I yeah. I like VU meters. It's funny because like, um, so Australia doesn't use a PPM meter. No, not really. Well, I don't. I can't speak oh. for everybody. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are those that do, but I don't Explain know that what it's that is. standard. A PPM meter is a peak. What does it stand for? Peak uh, is it modulation? What, what is it? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, it's peak something. PPM. Uh, oh, thank God for Google. Uh, yeah. I'm just no, it too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here Hold waiting please. for you guys to do it. Yeah. It's not parts per million, by the way. <laughs> and by the way, there's a million things that come up for PPM. Yeah, meters, isn't it? Just yeah, exactly. Medical yeah, stuff. It's not what we're peak, looking for. Peak program meter. There you go. Oh, um, I knew it. I was pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, peak program. But program isn't talking about actual peak. Program is program talking is- about a sort of form of average volume, right? Yeah, but nowhere near like what you get with a with a um a loudness meter. But yeah. 
It's a bit more of a... Well, but, but they are peak meters. And then what we use in the United States were VU meters, which are averaging meters. And it's interesting because I like seeing an averaging meter more than a peak meter. Well, there you go. Personally. Well, Wikipedia but, um, Wikipedia has just said... Where did, it, where did I say that? Hang on. Um, shit, they just What's said... What's a Duro? Is it Duro um, PPM? Or? Duro, shows the Duro true... does an average that's like their own like uh, loudness, supposedly. Gotcha. So it says here, shows the peak level of the waveform no matter how brief its duration. Quasi-peak program meter. So there you go. It's like instant. Well, it's supposed to be, but it can't be. Well, I suppose it can. In digital domain, you can do it. But yeah, I mean, in in an analog domain, you couldn't. You couldn't do it in an analog domain. It wouldn't be fast enough. Well, no. No, you can get it there. It just might not be right on the, it might be, it might be hitting after the fact but if you if it delivers that voltage to the meter the meter will go there the swing time hmm. might be the the slew on that Lower. but those meters are pretty loose pr- pretty light yeah um so they're supposed to just you know bang move quickly and easily with the slightest voltage right but no i mean certainly lights are more instantaneous than a swinging needle what's sure. your go to metering metering in the studio robert what do you, what's your usual do you usually oh watch? I've had a few. So, so one of them that I've used a lot was Massey's. Oh yeah. Um, what's it called? Just meter. I don't know if you know Massey plugins. I've seen them. Yep. Mm-hmm. He made a free one, which is just I, I like the most. I like is like when it's a peak and a VU mm. super superimposed over each other. I think that's like one of the most useful meters. Um, because then you can see like how compressed you are essentially. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so I've used that one. Um, the Duros. Well, the Duros have lots of buttons. Like I tend to like meters that get away on the screen without like they work well if the meter is sitting on the left side of the plugin so you can hang like most of the rest of the plugin off the edge of the screen. Yep. Um uh-huh. and that look at it. And do you work um, to so zero? The Massey meters were great because they were really skinny. Yeah. Sorry? Do you work to zero or do you work to minus ten or minus twenty or what do you work to? I, I work to minus 20 and I mix yeah. basically on the Massey meter, minus 20 is actually minus eleven. Okay. Uh, funny enough, because it's like more set up for meter m- yeah. music. But um, so I, I mix to basically minus 20 and then I double check it. So another meter I use is a Uline. Have you seen that one? It's no. like a free. I'm go look at that. Oh, one. it's like a free sort of uh, new gen type meter. U L E A N? Y O U L E A N. Oh, okay. Like they, they have a paid version, over. but it's basically an, it'll do LKFS. Yep. And so when I mix to minus 20, it pretty much makes it minus 20. That is almost the same as minus 24K, minus 24 LKFS. Oh, that's pretty cool. And that's free, is it? But I still like looking at a VU meter more than a... um, like an LKFS meter. Yeah, I agree. The the one I've seen more commonly now is the uh, Waves WLM meter. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, just if you happen to be listening to this within six days of now, which you probably not, it's a podcast, um, it's 91% off. <laughs> yeah, Waves bucks. have got a big sale on at the moment, don't they? Yeah, yeah. 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 But um, that one I've seen a lot. I, I like that one because it shows large, bold numbers at a glance, and I like to see those big numbers. Yep. Yeah, the the, the lean does the same thing as far as that goes. Um, yeah. The Waves has a couple of other meters. The It's interesting to see your history of how consistently loud your spot is, you know, that, that is definitely something. Um, yeah. But um, it's... There is, by the way, a Waves VU meter. It's called VU meter. Yeah, that's what yes, I'm using right now. It's a digital wow. of two little needles. 
There's also one in Pro Tools that just comes with it, I think, called like Essential Meter Bridge. And it's just two VU meters. Gotcha. It's amazing. It's amazing how well software meters do at at VU. It's, yeah. For some reason, I always think it's like, wow, they really did make that work. But like some of those really do have pretty realistic feeling VU meters, even though they're mm-hmm. digital. Yeah. See, I normally have two running because I've, I've got a third monitor. So I have my edit screen on one, the, the mix screen on another one. And then on the one up the top, I have usually have the Waves VU meter that we're just talking about and the Doro going at the same time, mm. only because I can do then you, see peaks. Do you mix in. into a limiter or do you put the limiter in after you have a mix? Uh, no, I mix into a limiter. So yeah, yeah, yeah I do it all at the mm. end. So safe. Do you keep your limiter God, on screen so you can see how much you're hitting it? Yeah, well, it's usually because i I'm been mastering a bit with, um, I don't use the actual, the whole Ozone plugin, but I use the bits and pieces. So at the moment, my mix uh-huh. is the, um, I can never say it, Pug Child 670. Puig. Puig. Yeah. Puig, Puig Child 670. Puig. And then I go from there into the um, Ozone uh, um, EQ. And from there, the limiter varies. The limit, sometimes it's the Ozone 1, sometimes it's the L3. Occasionally I'll use the L1. So, yeah, that's the, that's the main variable. The L1's a little bit harsher. Mix. Yeah. That's what I, I, I go. Larger. I go basically. So, I'll, like for T, this is TV, so it's five one. So I'm, but I'll basically do a. Uh, if if I do a wideband compressor, it, it would be the uh, just the Digi compressor three, you know, like the one built in. And then if it's a multiband compressor, which I don't always do because it takes a lot of DSP, um, then it's the Wave C four, which I love. If, if I put that on the master fader, and then after that, that all goes over to a uh, L3, like the Waves surround sound limiter, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. yeah see, I, that's why I use the Ozone um, EQ. I use the dynamic one because you can use it. I I'll either use it just as an EQ, but I do like the fact that you can sort of you know dial it in if you do want a little bit of a compression somewhere on one of the bands or you know a few of the bands. But, but you find that you're EQing the the master, the master, that. and it's usually just it's usually just to compensate for something that's happening in maybe in the compression beforehand or something. So the it's not massive okay. handfuls of it. It's just enough to compensate for bits and pieces or make something pop. Yeah, it's, it's funny because if not, like sometimes when I'm when I'm mastering like on the way out, like if I'm mixing and mastering just as one sort of path, I usually tend to not EQ as much because then you can just say, oh. This or that sounds this way, and you can go try to EQ that individual track. Yep. Yep. So See, the other to, thing the, yeah. that the the Ozone EQ does is you can do mid side. So, especially with radio mm-hmm. imaging, that's that gets used a lot. I'm mixing mid side with that, and there's there is in fact you're, you're limiting mid side or, or no no or sorry that's you, the the EQ the dynamic EQ. The EQ okay, and you just do that to like make it more stereo. You like brighten up the outside? Yeah, so the sides you can really sort of cut a bit of the low end because, you know, it's already thumping in the middle anyway and you can sort of open up right. the sides and make it sound wider and all that sort of oh, stuff. Yeah. So, I've definitely yeah. heard the result of that plugin. Yeah. That yep. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's well, cool. the whole MS thing is like all over the place. Like, uh, Yeah, well, mu- I'm sure in music it would be fairly widely used too, right? Surely. 
Yeah, like plug-in plug-in alliance. Like who who started doing that was the mastering engineers in New York in the nineties began yeah, doing that. Was it? Yeah, it's not Midside, and then the the guy that left the mastering houses and started a dangerous audio. Yeah, he was he was big into that type of processing, and they would EQ. Also, a lot of the times they were getting their limiting not from limiters, but they were purposely clipping some converters. Now there's plugins called clippers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah right. Well, there's a couple of compressors that I've got that do it as well. I don't play with it with compression. I, I, I really don't Shit. The, dive into the it. The first time I was in a mastering room was Sonic Solutions. And the guy's like loading this mix I did on my analog eight track. <laughs> <laughs> and when he loads it in, he literally, after he loads it in, he just like takes the whole thing and just clips it by like three or six decibels, I think. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, no one's going to hear it. It's going to sound great. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> he right. didn't have, like, it, that was before the days of the L1. Yep. Yeah, ultra but maximizers and stuff. Mm. Right, exactly. Which ba- basically, it's almost the same thing. You just, like, if you don't do a lot of it, you don't hear it. And it it's like, boom, now your shit's louder. And we all know well, what that I, does. Was, I mean, I've, Andrew mentioned a while ago that he was kind of said it in passing, but he said, his average is minus 20. His peaks are only around minus six. So that means he's constraining his dynamic very, range by yeah. 14 decibels in, an, in a performance. That's very narrow. Like that's, mm. that's pretty amazing control of dynamic range. Like that, that's, you know, again, that's skill. That, <laughs> I could do that with compression all day long, but to do that just in a performance is pretty. Correct. Yeah. You know, that's quite I'd say something amazing. else is like, you know, if you mix to minus 20, you yeah. don't need a compressor. If you like, like on a lot of mixes with music, if you get everything in the right place, you don't need a compressor. And if you start putting a compressor on it, then your mix looks low. Mm-hmm. And then, and then if you push it up, now you're, you're higher. Um, this didn't used to happen. Like when, when the government wasn't, tracking the LKFS value. And it was just the broadcasters were like, you know, just deliver it at whatever average VU like level. You could compress it and get the VU meter to have fewer swings and it'd be more consistent. But now when you put that same mix up on one of the LKFS meters, um, if you've compressed it and then kept it at zero VU, your LKFS will be like, you know, minus 20 instead of minus 24. It'll be, hmm. it'll be louder. So it's like, it's kind of funny, but it's hard to compress it and not end up doing what compressors really do, which is they kind of make stuff sound thinner, you know? Yeah. If the compressor doesn't have makeup gain, mm-hmm. it's actually kind of like, ooh, that's bad. <laughs> like yeah. It's the yeah. makeup gain yeah. that we all like. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to know more about PPM versus VU, I found a really good article on Sound on Sound, of course. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's 10 years old, but still obviously current. And it explains that these are now considered obsolete. <laughs> Um, but they were both developed in the 30s, very close in time to each other. But the PPM was actually earlier than the VU. Um, it does uh-huh. explain in quite a lot of detail the difference. So if you're if you're really curious, this is the best article I found. Yeah, comparing them. Just and the sound VU sound is not necessarily, uh, you know, it's not necessarily RMS. It's close too, but it's not. I don't think it's the same. right. I don't. Yeah. I can't think mm-hmm. you can go past looking at a set of VUs. I mean, to me, it's just clear, and it's I don't know. Is it because I grew up on them? I don't know. I think it's because you grew up on them. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it's nostalgia. I think it's because you grew up on them. Because if you think about it, like views can be really weird. On like a consonant, they don't move at all, and then the littlest vowel, and they jump off the screen. Or, yeah, you know, it's yeah. funny. I suppose that, that's my broad strokes. But when I mix 
I suppose you go to a digital meter of some description, I suppose. So probably maybe you're right. Maybe uh, definitely nostalgia for me. That's the only reason I, I saw them, bought them, and then I had a guy, well, guy in in uh, just out of Melbourne called Ross Giles who builds really nice preamps, actually. Um, he made the box for me, set them all up, and so they're rack-mounted VUs. They're old. So, so they, Australia uh, is definitely cool. a VU country, not a PPM country. England was PPM. Yeah. No, it was all VU. And that, when in another the thing is, the is PPMs were are characterized by having a very slow fallback time. So right. um, mm-hmm. they take yeah. about one and a half seconds to fall back. So as in the release? To yeah, 20. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's so, interesting. Well, it's all in the ballistics and the timing that they take to get up and down because the VU is slower than the PPM, mm-hmm. um, but falls quicker. So they're kind of inverse. And and so one is a peak and it shows the peaks and the other one shows the average. And I think that actually, if you don't have both, you're not really metering because mm-hmm. what it's all about is your, I think it's, is it your hysteresis? Is that your difference in between the peaks and the average, I believe? Possibly, yeah. I don't I'm not know. sure what the exact word for that is, but it's definitely some. Some would even refer to it as your headroom. So um, here's so here's a question then. Maybe for you, Robert, you might be able to answer this one. The digital VUs, like these wave ones that I'm waves ones that I'm using, mm-hmm. if you put them side by side with an analog one, and this is where I need your input because I could well be wrong here. But wouldn't the wouldn't the digital VU meters be more accurate than the analog ones because they can actually look ahead or is that not true necessarily? Mm, no, because it's all about the, I mean, if you're emulating the VU meter, then you wouldn't do any look ahead because no real VU meter would have any look ahead. Maybe you'd look ahead a little bit in case you need to have a buffer to analyze the volume. So you want to yeah. display the meter at the same time, but you shouldn't be cheating to know, know what too actually, much. What's actually it's, coming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the meter, the the whole thing about a, me, a meter is just like its reaction time, mm. it's, and it's like fall time, and and those ballistics, and they they're not like you know they're not perfect, and but they somehow, after you stare at them for thirty years, you somehow get to know them, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like a, you're not actually reacting to exactly what they're doing. It's what reading in between the lines of what they're doing and knowing what's going on, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and when you're looking at just VU, which is what you used to look at, you know, like a lot of it was just like, well, the peaks are just going to get softly clipped off by the analog and you just had a little peak light. Usually the VU meters had a little red light that would flash for the peak mm-hmm. and, yep. and you knew you were like within 6 dB and you would try to stay away from that. But a lot of the times you just let that red light go and having both meters keeps you more in the traffic lane, but that's not necessarily where the sound is, except that sound was specifically with analog, but I don't know. I think they're not necessarily accurate. The most accurate meter is just a peak meter. Like that's, they're, they're, but they're just so spazzy. You can't keep track of what's going on. I was it just sounds like Australia is a VU day. kind of place. Oh, definitely. Like, we all radio yeah. stations, we all had VU meters. Mm-hmm. Not that Jocks took um, any notice of them, but you know. No, in fact, I, I think the person who recorded the Raspberries Go Your Own Way also didn't take any notice of them because no. I remember the first time I played that song, <laughs> the needles don't move. They just go oh, to zero just, and stay there. It's packed bizarre. George talking about on-air processing and stuff before, the amount of time I would walk into an on-air studio and the meters would just be pinned to the just right. Locked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just locked. Just right. not moving at all, just flat to the left, to the right. Well, well you know that sound? You know that sound when you walk in and, and the only thing you hear is like the... 
Yeah. Oh, it's the, the needles meter hitting the backstop. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the limits. <laughs> it was like that great story from Bobby Osinski when he was working with Roy Thomas Baker recording the cars. And um, Bobby walked in and Roy had covered all the meters up with bits of cardboard. <laughs> And so don't even look at those, let's record. And he's, he didn't actually, I'm just going to basically make my version of what he said to me, but it would have been like sitting in an armoured vehicle being shot at with a machine gun. Which one is it? I don't know. <laughs> but even uh, even another mate of mine who, I don't know whether he's listening, but um, he used to work... For Rack Studios, he was a resident engineer there before, long, well, long before he came to Australia. But um, I think it was Mickey Most he was working with, and he was recording Hot Chocolate and uh, Errol Brown's vocals. And the, Mickey came in and said, "What are you? What are you doing?" He goes, "I'm just setting the levels." He goes, oh, "No, don't worry about the levels. Crank it up. Distortion sounds great." And they just like flat out distortion. And then when they did the mix, it's like that's what went. To press that that was the record <laughs> there's a lot of that actually you know Tons the wall of, of sound is yeah but it's like yeah. that horrible distortion on vocal by the time you add a bit of reverb and stuff to it or whatever it it you wash it, it out it's a bit. sound of rock vocal yeah. you know, it's just well I, I used to think all the distortion you heard in like you know kind of like 60s era music was endemic of the technology. I was going to say, just like the limitations of it. the tape, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, and then yeah. I heard some Blue Note stuff from the 50s, right? Some jazz yeah, Blue like Note stuff. Perfect it's, sounding. It's perfect. pristine. Yeah. Like, okay, well, yeah. that ain't it. It was just an aesthetic choice. Like, yeah. yeah, it was, absolutely. You wanted it to be crunchy and loud, and it's not very di- you know, not very dynamic. It doesn't have a lot of highs and lows. Um, that was the aesthetic. I, you know, it's, yeah. it, just didn't, it, was, it just didn't occur to me until I heard the context of the Blue Note stuff and I was like oh do you know what blew me away the other day with the passing of the queen um just recently obviously I was doing stuff for radio here and I came across a restoration of the queen's speech on her 21st birthday she did this speech in South Africa but it had been restored and it was beautiful like the actual tone that they managed to drag out of this crappy old recording um, I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. getting off the subject here, but because we got onto distortion and stuff. But the actual, when you dig deep down and get rid of all the noise and clean it up, it sounded so nice. It was just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm. the whole thing about that '60s was just being really offensive. The more offensive the noise could be, yeah. the better it was. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm thinking, of love, love me, do. I'm just thinking about the way yeah. it sounded sonically on the radio. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, there was, was a slight bit of distortion kind of in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't crap, but it's, I mean, it was it's, kind it's of almost crappy like the punk sounding. aesthetic. But you got vocalists adding distortion, you know, in the in the way they sing oh, yeah. too, and all that sort of stuff. So that's oh, sure. probably yeah. part of it as well. Kids, kids love it now. It's normal to them. They love the sound of distortion. Mm, and I yeah. tell my kid, like in the car, like she'll play a track, and there's just enough distortion being used that it. I, for me, it's 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 just I can't stand it. And I'll tell her, I'm like, I'm, I just skip the track. And she gives me a little smile when I skip it. And I said, I can't stand the distortion, Ella. I just can't. Like, I, it's too much for me. And I explained to her what distortion is. And, and she's like, yeah, yeah, that's, we kind of, I like that. I kind of like that. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't like it. When it first started, it was like, you know, just add a little bit of distortion. Yeah. 
know, in the mix under your, under your vocals or whatever. And now, yeah, you're right. It's just becoming more and more. It's becoming just like this overriding. Um, well, well, the big the big rage is all saturator plugins, right? Yeah, you've seen all yeah. these plugins. Yeah, yeah, that are yeah. Like super controllable. Yeah. So that's what happens when you record records in your bedroom, I guess. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, that was fun. Is it over? The Pro Audio Suite. With thanks to Tribooth. And Austrian Audio. Recorded using Source Connect. Edited by Andrew Peters. And mixed by Voodoo Radio Imaging. With tech support from George the Tech Whittem. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and join in the conversation on our Facebook group. To leave a comment, suggest a topic, or just say good day, drop us a note at our website. Theproaudiosuite.com.